This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Word I'm on deed. It's, it's, it's in the hole. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast focusing on low-tech microphones, subpar sound effects, and slipshod editing. Oh, and did I mention a little Lotro and all things Tolkien. Get ready to have your beacons lit, people. This is episode number 55, and I'm your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain. The Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, the Merciful Boot, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I am broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ atop the Beacon of Aralas, number four of seven in our Beacon-specific series. Or as I like to call it, the Mini Cooper of Beacons. Uh, if I had to describe the view, I'd say um, if I was any lower to the ground, I might be a snake in a wagon rut. And uh, there's not much to see. Actually, you can see a fair beast. You can see the other beautiful mountaintop beacons off in the distance. Uh, you know, just tending to understate the hugeness of this object uh, because it's in danger of being trampled by dwarves. And um, so the view is uh, meh. Listen, they can't all be winners, okay? There's only so many mountaintops out there. I don't know. Maybe the builders got tired for this, for this one and said, you know, instead of carrying all this stone and marble up to the top of a mountain, we can build a beacon right down here in the valley next to my fishing cottage. How would that be? Or maybe the captain of the Beacon Lighters Brigade, the BLB, said, Gee, it's awful freaking cold at the top of Amandine during the winter months. Uh, what if we set up one of the beacons a little closer to some brothels and taverns? Uh, I'm willing to sacrifice access to a beautiful view in order to man this beacon personally. It's, it's my personal burden to bear. No, no, I insist. Or, or maybe Turbine said, Oh, crap, we finished the landscape, but we're a mountain short. Are you sure that there were supposed to be seven of them? Because my TPS report clearly says six. Well, release is Monday, so just stick another one in there anywhere. Any open field will do. Try to put a little mound under it at least. There. Done. Yeah, Peter Jackson's sweeping vista shot would have been a little anticlimactic if they had shown this one in the middle of the sequence, don't you think? Anyway, I'm excited to be back. I don't know if you guys can notice, but uh, uh, a bunch of episodes back when I upgraded my PC and sound system, I lost the ability to use a microphone that I had used, and I'd just been recording through the standard built-in mic in my laptop, and uh, the quality was not as good, was not thrilled with it. Um, the downside was, uh, or the positive side was, it was a little louder, so recording with my mic for some reason that I can't fathom is a little less volume, but I think it's a little more clear. 
So hopefully you enjoy a little less volume on this dwarf, uh, particularly given my uh, proclivity to wander and digress and scream and shout. Um, but you enjoy the enhanced quality of this dwarf's voice, which is killer. Um, so let me know if uh, you have any trouble with the recording. You think it's better, uh, about the same, uh, a little worse maybe, and we'll fine-tune as we go. Uh, but uh, I think it's more than time to move on. It's been so long since we talked. Let's go on to Ilenach. It's been, yeah, becoming a monthly podcast of late. Can't be helped. The summer schedule is crazy with a K uh, or wacky with a double K. And, uh, and uh, it just has not lent itself to frequent podcast recordings. But I do miss you guys. Do miss uh, talking to myself. Uh, you know, the voices in my head, much like Harley Quinn. As usual, we first deal with a lot of CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last time out. So if anyone remembers, last time we offended the Defenders of Minas Tirith, Rep Grinders, uh, the Pine Leaf Countdowners, the Gamblers, the PVMP Raid Leaders, uh, Rank 15 Creeps, uh, Throne of the Dread Terror Pugs, and Donald Trump. And to all those who were offended, I offer a very solemn and heartfelt, sorry, uh, except for Trump. Hey, ho, 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 wait a second. No politics here. This is a politics-free zone. Moving on, let's go to viewer comments. Agree to disagree. iTunes reviews. On October 7th of 2015, Anishi Farquester left me a five-star iTunes review. So he currently has a high score on the LTB uh, iTunes review leaderboard and he will get his name read on the podcast every single freaking week until someone else supplants him if you want to join this illustrious vacuum review reviewers then do absolutely nothing but if you want your name read on the podcast every single freaking episode then give me a review ltb.com comments LSU man chimed in to ask me about my rig and, uh, you know, I guess he's been looking at his hardware and the, uh, the inevitable upgrades that occur every few years. I'm using an NVIDIA 850MX series graphic card uh, on my uh, HP NV laptop and uh, uh, recently started giving me troubles again. So ever since I can't remember when at this point, uh, I've been getting graphic card flameouts you know, every half hour to 45 minutes, especially at the gates of Minas Tirith. And I know that's not an uncommon problem to have. But I do think, uh, you know, that my graphics card uh, and the drivers, uh, oh, that's right, ever since I moved up to Windows 10, uh, because apparently there's some incompatibilities between NVIDIA graphic card drivers and Windows 10. Go out to any forum, do a search, you'll find a billion problems. Uh, have they addressed it as a company? Said, here's what you do when those happen? No. They let you fumble around the forums and follow different people's advice. Try this, try that. No official response. Try everything. So uh, recently I updated my graphics card driver because I saw a new one that came out from NVIDIA. And I was hoping that it might resolve that issue. What did it do? It made it worse. Of course, uh, I was actually uh, crashing within 30 seconds of joining the game and sometimes at login for a good couple days. And uh, 
what I found was I, I basically I think I've gotten back to where I was before through a combination of trying different things uh, based on form forum posters help no thanks to nvidia or microsoft uh, as far as windows 10 compatibility with those drivers goes but what i did find is um, a recommendation to instead of go to the nvidia drivers go to the drivers provided by your laptop manufacturer in this case hewlett packard and try the drivers that they publish on their website and uh, if those don't work try them being installed in compatibility mode uh, which is a setting you can change your browser to to interface better with Windows 10. I'm sorry, uh, your installer. So when you install the uh, driver, you can install it in compatibility mode for Windows 10. Uh, anyway, I fumbled through, I don't know, probably a, a good day of messing about with a bunch of different setups. And I think I finally got uh, the HP driver to work. Seems to be stable now. Actually seems to be maybe even a little better than it was before. So maybe the trouble was worth it. Um, what was kind of funny was at the time I was trying to finish up uh, with my Bjorning Middlemead. He's, he's uh, level 82 or 3 and questing in Middlemead in Western Rohan. And I was at the instance at the very end where uh, Magla is sitting in his town hall and uh, you rouse him to, uh, to try to escape even though he's got no arm and can't fight. <laughs> and you run out and the whole town's on fire. And every time I, I ran out and the town was on fire, I'd fight a few guys and something about the graphics of the town being on fire all around me would crash the system, and I'd have to start over again and again and again. And after about seven attempts, I was about ready to leave that guy behind and say, forget it, this is never going to happen. Uh, but I did uh, manage to, uh, looks like for now, fingers crossed, get my, my, uh, my video card driver set. Magla has been rescued from the Mead Hall, and I'm moving on to uh, questing around Aldberg with him. So uh, that's uh, that's uh, uh, one other ltbcom.com comment I wanted to mention. Bragginthorne had a number of posts on the last podcast, uh, and he mentioned in one of them that he'd been very busy in and outside of the game. He's been so busy with grouping for the lost, long-lost coin box runs and new instances for armor drops. He said, it seems like the old days of early Moria to me. And that had never occurred to me, but the more I think about it, the more it does. Uh, there are some similarities in terms of you know, working for the six pieces of armor you needed for your radiance through the different, um, through the different instances and hoping they would drop. Obviously, dropping coins in every instance is a more predictable path, uh, but you are hoping for those armor drops in between to speed the process. And uh, running a box run is much like um, you know running an old Grand Stairs run, you know Grand Stairs, you know t uh, challenge run, uh, you know quick, you know became like a machine. People would pour through and do speed runs and be done in ten minutes, and that's what a lot of these uh, speed runs are are reminding me of now. So I think that's a good parallel. Um, you know, and you've got to have those armor pieces if you want to succeed in 2-2 challenge instances, uh, Doma Stars, you know, anything on the Pelennor fields, or, of course, the new raid. So thanks for that comment, Bragg Thorne. Appreciate it. Out on the Twitter sphere, there's the usual dissing and quipping. Nothing of special note. There have been some trolls laying into Cordovan as if the uh, community manager has the ability to change the course of content development all by his little self, but uh, that's to be expected. Uh, speaking of Cordovan, he did guest uh, from a community spotlight standpoint on Lotro Players News this past week. 
He did not say much of note except for the fact that he believes a producer's letter addressing content for the second half of the year would likely be forthcoming by end of August-ish. So we'll be looking forward to that and uh, glad to confirm that it will be published. The one question I would have asked him if I was in the chat room, which I wasn't, was, um, you know, since he came from the DDO side of the house, why the difference in philosophies with the DDO uh, producer's letter versus the Lotro producer's letter? DDO producer's letters, pages long, filled with oodles of exciting details to get the players pumped up about what might be around the around the corner. Lotro's producer letter, you know, basically four mini paragraphs of a couple sentences each with maybe two or three hints about stuff that might be coming. You know, it's like, uh, okay, you'll get a new raid, we'll be around Pelinor, and maybe you'll see something in housing. Bleh. That's about it. Um, you know, terrible. Compared to DDO, same company, right? Turbine? <laughs> same kind of game? Why is one producer's letter so great and the other so sucky? And I think it's just the personal philosophy of the producer, executive producer being stung too many times, over-promising, so not wanting to say anything out of turn. But I think it's a terrible way to run it. I think you need to get your players excited about what might be coming and give them more detail. Or if you're not going to give them a lot of detail at the beginning of the year, give them more frequent updates about what's coming and what's in development. Um, so... Cordovan uh, coming from DDO might have been, I'm sure he would have given the politically correct, correct answer instead of the interesting and truthful one, but that's part of his job, and I can't blame him for that, unfortunately. Um, I think Cordovan has been active uh, from a forums insider's perspective on the Lotro, uh, out in the Lotro forums. Glad to see him posting fairly regularly and making himself known. He even uh, issued a post out on the Lotro community site forums, which is not a Turbine-sponsored site. It's uh, one that was started by a lot of people that were banned from the game or wanted to start threads that uh, you know were being closed down on the regular forums. And he basically you know, offered an olive branch and said, you know, I'm here to listen. Anyone wants to tell me what's, what's going on, you know, feel free to give me, a, give me a shout out. So I thought that was a nice move. Um, you know, I did see a comment from one DDO player who said he was as despised on, despised on DDO forums as Sapiens was here uh, at one point in time. But from my perspective, yeah, he hasn't done much yet, but so far so good. So I'm willing to give him a shot. So in this week's episode, we're going to, as always, talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game this past few weeks. We will explore the gaming inflection point, that is Pokemon Go. We'll talk about the penetration of Mordor. And lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will pet out our runtime with useless and boring filler material. But in the meantime, let's move on to the third beacon <laughs> of Nardal. Yes, clearly still working out the kinks from being off for a few too many weeks. <clears throat> a little rusty. Grandma, get me some grease. Ah, oh, that's an ale. Uh, this week in gaming and other Tokyan news. So, uh, first of all, I did want to mention uh, a book that I had talked about previously uh, called The Lore of Middle-Earth uh, that I had uh, just finished reading recently. It should be out on Amazon. Author's name is, hang on, found it. Okay, it's called An Atlas of Tokian by David Day. And I bought my copy at Costco for 10 bucks. It's out on Amazon Prime for thirteen twenty nine. It is 
flexi-bound, as they call it, which means it has kind of a, a genuine pleather cover, which is stamped. I actually like the feel of it, and uh, the book binding held together. I was worried it would fall apart, but it hasn't. A lot of people out on Amazon are complaining about it, saying it's not a real atlas of Middle-earth, the maps are you know, substandard, blah, 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 blah. Take it for what it is. Um, if you like Tolkien artwork, and they have a number of various artists contributing to topics in and around Middle-earth, and uh, each piece of artwork is accompanied by, um, you know, something not exactly pressing the limits for the Tolkien scholar, but um, but a short kind of reminder of some of the generic content. It's it it'll show you know iconic locations in the game. It'll show iconic characters in the game. Talk about each of them in turn, you know, with a little half-page subscri- uh, description. And uh, some of the artwork is very, very good. A few of the artists I liked very much. They were abstract. They were different. And uh, again, it's a nice feel to it. It's not that expensive. Uh, I'd recommend you flip through it and see if you'd be interested. But uh, I enjoyed it, and it's going to sit on my Tokian bookshelf now and uh, be a nice little addition to it. If you're looking for a more serious and uh, scholarly and academic treatment of an Atlas of Middle-Earth, uh, apparently, there is another title out on Amazon called uh, The Atlas of Middle-Earth by a woman named uh, Karen Wynn Fonstad, which is more highly recommended. So um, you can take a look at that as well. Uh, what else have been doing? In gaming, DDO, nothing, Secret World, nothing, Marvel Healers, nothing, Clash of Clans. There was an anniversary event uh, that spurred new development this past week. Whenever they... Whenever they double the output of the resource collectors, it makes the game more exciting for me. I kind of wish it was like that all the time because uh, I go into the doldrums for a while with the pace. And then when they double the resource collector output for an event like the anniversary, it uh, gets exciting. You can find some really big paydays out there. Um, so with that, I've got uh, all almost all of my mortars and cannons uh, upgraded for Town Hall Level 9, and uh, a few more archers to go, uh, and working on my Teslas. So maybe two-thirds of the way done with most of those. And I've got uh, finally got enough elixir together to upgrade my archers to Level 6. They get those cute little headdresses. I use a good mix of archers generally, so it should be a good boost. Yeah, only 6 million elixir. Uh, it was either that or a level 6 balloon boost, which was very tempting. They get one of the biggest level 6 boosts of any troop as far as damage output is concerned. And I might actually use them more if they did, but right now I don't use them that much. Um, so I went with the archers first. I would like to upgrade the, the balloons at some point and say we see what they can do at level 6 because I think uh, they are they are pretty darn destructive at that level. Star Trek Online, I went out there and did a quest, another patrol against three cloaked Klingons. It was uh, basically an on-level quest, and it was all I could do to finish off those three cloaked Klingon ships and uh, finish the patrol of whatever it was, the Bea system or whatever. Um, you know, again, I think I need gear upgrades or I need to actually learn how to fight <laughs> one or the other. But it was cool to finish the quest on level after it was so difficult uh, to take those troops out. Uh, I am playing South Park Stick of Truth a little bit, and I escaped recently from the alien anal probers. Enough said on that. Uh, little Brag uh, in our house finished the game of Undertale, which many of you might be familiar with. And I can't decide whether to play this game or not. I watched him playing it. I liked some of the originality and creativity 
Uh, some of the game mechanics, I was like, eh, I don't know. That doesn't. It, you know, I'm sure I could do it with enough practice, but it doesn't look that fun to me. So after I finish Stick of Truth right now, I'm leaning towards Shadow of Mordor, but I am being lobbied by Little Brag uh, to play Undertale so that he can, you know, I don't know, laugh at my attempts or share with me the fact that he lorded it over me and finished it before I did. Um, also been playing another little mobile game that I will leave for another beacon, but let's move on to Lotro. Uh, Bragg has been, of course, doing Minas Tirith dailies. Um, I'm done with reps, so I don't really need those anymore, but it is basically when I log on, I'm waiting for something to do. I'll either initiate something myself, or I'll just start doing dailies until I see a run pop up in world chat that I want to join in or the kidneys get something going. And you can, of course, get a, you know, a good three and plus goals of empowerment uh, for each time you finish those off. So um, something that's appeared recently, obviously, are the dailies that have popped up for the after middle after Battle of Minas Tirith content. Uh, so for those of you who who are kindred with Defenders of Minas Tirith and have finished the epic books, you should get a uh, a letter in the mail indicating that if you take the horse outside at the near the gate to the after battle of Minas Tirith site, you can find Imrahil sitting outside the gate, uh, handing out uh, basically some cleanup quests for the city. Uh, there are six of them. You're allowed to do four per day, and after you finish all six, he offers you an interlude uh, to go speak up with Pippin in the Houses of Healing. Uh, after you finish the interlude, uh, more quests are offered to help out the people in and around the uh, the high house of healing on the sixth level. And uh, what we've been promised is that a few more quests are going to pop up every week, which are going to tell some of the story of the after battle. Uh, so I like this. I like that there are kind of episodic quests coming out, which expand the story, you know, uh, give more background, tell more of the main story, you know, not necessarily part of the epic, but something to keep people busy. What I don't like about it is the lack of guidance or instruction on what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, they tell you you can do four quests per day, but you're like, why? I have the rep. I don't need any more Ministry of Silver Coins. I've got scads of them. You know, what's the point of doing these versus doing the other dailies that are in the general instance? Well, they don't tell you you're going to unlock additional story content if you finish off all six. You know, basically, you have to go to the forums to figure that out. Um, or you got to do all six and then come back. And you, you know, maybe there's one you never do and you never figure it out. It's just, you know, they could have indicated in his dialogue even to say, I have six tasks for you. If you finish all six tasks, I will send you on to, you know, help someone in the houses of healing, then at least you know what you're supposed to do and that there's a reward for it, more story that you can get out of it. Uh, as it is, it's a little frustrating. And uh, also, only in the forums do they tell you that there's additional quests coming. So I hear pe people in chat all the time, you know, I think I only found two of the quests and I can't finish off the deeds in my deed log. You know, what am I missing? Oh, those aren't out yet. Well, why didn't they tell us that? <laughs> I mean, the amount of digging you have to do to figure this stuff out, you know, unless you're listening to podcasts, going out and plowing the forums, or, you know, you've got to ask in world chat and be labeled a noob. Just, uh, I don't like that aspect of it. So, um, but I am through with, uh, I got one or two more quests in the House of Healing, and we'll see if they come out with additional story content, which tells the stories of Faramir and Eowyn. I'm sure we'll at some point fetch some Athelis from Aragorn, hopefully up in the foothills 
of uh, the mountains uh, that flank Minas Tirith and uh, maybe even take part in the council that decides uh, what we do next for the epic. So that'll be fun stuff to look forward to. They're not doing episodic quant uh, content for bingo anymore, so maybe this is how they're uh, you know, using their time, which uh, I'm okay with. Um, I am ready for more of bingo. Bragg has uh, not finished the bingo quest line yet. I think I left him in Rohan, so at some point when I get a good chunk, I'll sit down and play through that. Uh, it's got to be a time where I can obviously have the sound going and uh, fully enjoy the interactive experience there. But I will finish bingo probably sometime in the next week or two. What else has Bragg done? Well, I, I was uh, going through the auction house and I saw a dusty shrew pet for a mere 25 gold. <laughs> a tomb of the dusty shoe sitting out there. And, you know, I like collecting skills. I like collecting emotes. I like collecting pets. I like collecting... Um, you know, tombs that add to my character's abilities, um, you know, instrument playing, whatever the case may be, uh, to further build out my folks. And in this case, I only needed the dust, Dusty Shrew left to complete my collection, my Shrew collection. I think this is the second pet collection I've finished, I think, after the Swans of Dal Amroth. Um, so I got a title, which is the Merciful Boot. Uh, which I guess was worth 25 gold. <laughs> I'll probably never use the Dusty Shrew because if I'm going to bring a shoe out, I'll probably bring out the big one. But uh, again, all the same, 25 gold. You know, used to be all the money I'd had after years of gameplay. Now it's a drop in the bucket. So uh, my problem with the pet collection box, you know, I don't know if I'll finish any more of these. Uh, don't see going back and farming more trees and Fangorn, uh, you know, Mining frogs, um, what, uh, getting all the cave claw wranglers out of the um, out of the buried treasure event, and the biggest problem I have with the collection panel at this point for pets is why can't the horse collection contain all the horses in the game? They've picked out you know just the ones available from the store in some cases, and a few others that you can get from festivals. Uh, would really have loved to have seen all the horses in the game in the pet collection panel. Uh, would have, you know, would have been so much easier to look through all the horses that you own and decide which you want to use for which outfits or which you want to ride when for this. Would have been extremely handy. As it is, it contains only a small fraction of the horses in the game. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to take the time to collect them all, or they thought loading the panel would take too long with all the horse pictures that would have to be loaded. Would have thought they could cash that somehow and, and figure it out. So I'm hoping in the future maybe they'll take a look at the horse collection panel and build out all the rest of the horses in the game. Bragg has also been running featured instances, including uh, Stoneheight was uh, the one that was last week, and then it went back. Um, I did solo Stoneheight on Bragg just to see what it would take to do it. Uh, it's pretty easy uh, with a guard. Couldn't do it with every class, but I think uh, most of the heavies you could, I would imagine. Uh, but why would you? <laughs> it's so slow. So slow compared to doing it with three people. Uh, had some really great speed runs last week with a Warden and a Mini, I think, where uh, the Warden and I were just, you know, we we took the whole instance in four poles, you know, hopscotching each other, and uh, it went like lickety-split fast. So uh, those the stone height one goes, can go really fast. It's worth doing from that perspective. And I was looking forward to the Helograd Drakewing run, when it was pulled, uh, some kind of error, so they pulled it and put Samoth Gall back in the rotation. Unfortunate. Uh, I do like Samoth Gall, but 
I was looking forward to a different raid grouping for the uh, for the box run just to be something. Hellograb was one of the ones they subbed in, so we wouldn't get tired of the old ones, and now it's not in the rotation. So hopefully they'll fix that and put it back in soon. Again, I think it's important to increase the rotation of box instances so they don't get old, because right now they're getting old. <laughs> um, aside from that, it was spring festivaling. I went, obviously, and got my horse I think I, I spent my last uh, badge of taste from the uh, in-league and uh, traded all those in for tokens and started to work on some of my badges of dishonor. I'll be sad when those are all gone. Maybe I'll go back and do more in-league or ale association runs at some point but uh, to generate more coins if I really hate a festival. But um, for now, I, I, I ran some festival quests. Uh, you know, I traded in some badges, a mixed bag, and I'm hoping to stretch them out just a bit more. But I got the new horse from the festival. Uh, just don't have a lack of interest in the Caparissons you can get from the mounted steeds. Um, you know, I have a couple good looks on my steeds based on horses that I bought and that I'm happy with. And, I, you know, collecting more is uh, a lot of coins. Uh, earn the Hobbit Dance 4 emote, obviously, which kind of looks like you're, some, someone mentioned it looks kind of like you, uh, you know, you pass gas and you're trying to wave it over to the next person in your fellowship. Um, got the Fountain emote as well. And my new friend, the Kite. Uh, the Kite of Summer Days. I love the Kite. It was a great idea, good implementation. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't gotten a pet in a while that made me smile as I was running around and it was trailing behind me. And the Kite did that. So good job, Turbine. Um, I see people buying the, the, uh, the, the bird kite for, I think a couple hundred mythal coins and then they're turning around and selling it in the auction house for, you know, a jillion gold. Uh, but I'm happy with my little summer kite and, uh, I'll stick with it for now. Uh, I haven't been doing much with my minstrel, but I have been working on my cappy. I got him up to 81 class trait points thanks to a deeping wall raid. And uh, been gearing him up for the r Kinney runs for Throne of the Dread Terror. Uh, most of my my legacy tiers are at least in the mid 40s now. Trying to drive those up into the 50s, and I've got uh, four pieces of slotted gear um, from the box runs, uh, which gives me a two arms duration bonus of a an additional five seconds, which isn't you know which isn't world breaking, but it's pretty nice actually. And uh, I generally feel pretty comfortable with my Cappy's morale at about 35k right now. <laughs> when I switch over to a yellow line, it goes up almost to 45. Um, so uh, our kin raid leader actually asked me to go back and get the uh, Oathbreaker reset bonus, which you can find on a couple armor sets in the game, apparently. is available on Asgiliath for five-slot armor, I believe, um, options out of Asgiliath. And also, uh, which a lot of people are choosing instead, is to go back to the Tower of Orthanc and to the Ox Clan Merchant Camp. And if you finished off some of the Tier 1 raids for Tower of Orthanc, you can buy Cappy pieces with a two-set bonus, uh, which does Oathbreaker Reset. Whenever you um, There's a chance for an Oathbreaker Reset whenever you use your Shadow's Lament, uh, which is a cooldown of about 20 seconds. Uh, so the, the Oathbreaker reset uh, would allow you to redeploy Oathbreakers. You know, you can gain the effect every minute and a half. So Oathbreakers on a red line cap, you go for 20, 20 or 30 seconds, and uh, I think it's 20 seconds. 
And uh, if you can get two of them, you know, in about a minute after a shadow's lament, uh, and the, then reproc after a minute 30, uh, basically you can get Oathbreakers out, you know, I'm guessing maybe not exactly 50% of the time. Somebody do the math. A lot, okay? <laughs> and uh, you've got to wear level two pieces of level 75 gear to do it. Uh, but, you know, if you're a redline cappy, you shouldn't really be getting hit that much in the raid if you're careful. And um, so it's kind of a bummer, but it's it's only two pieces, and it ma can make a huge difference in a DPS race. So it's nice to have them to switch into if needed. Um, you know, it's a big step down from current my current gear, but it's a step that most raiders are willing to take. My lore master has been doing a few box runs as well. Uh, my Berg needed East Gondor Warbands for his class trait point in that area, which is done. And now he just has to work on his Slayer Deeds, which will be a little slow with the Berg, unfortunately, uh, to get the last class trait point out of um, Eastern Gondor. Uh, my Hunter is my sixth level cap tune. I had five at level 100 before my Berg made it, so this is the first time I've had six tunes at level cap. I made a big push for 105 from 100 the last time I was in the game. I uh, had fun questing through the Eastern Gondor and Esgiliath. Uh, and I kind of made a jump from Bar Huron down to the Esgiliath culverts, uh, skipping a bunch of content in between and basically following the epic. Uh, then I skipped most of the Ranger quests in Esgiliath, uh, which means some of the guys have appeared in the culverts with the daily tasks there, but not the guys that I didn't fully rescue. But I don't really need those dailies unless I want to bar here and guide port. But, you know, wh what are you going to use that for? I, I don't hear anyone calling for a hunter port to bar here. And so, um, so right now I don't feel like I need that guide spot. If if I do, I'll go back to us Gileath and grind dailies and uh, build up the rep I need to be able to get that as well. I did set my campfire to the culverts for now since I have the only class that can get there easily in the hunter. Uh and uh, I did some Asgiliath questing with my hunter. It's obviously not easy com compared to with a heavy armor class, but it's not impossible either. I just can't run through everything and then flop or hips or tank everything down like I could with most of the other classes I've done in Asgiliath. So I need to be a little more careful about running off mobs. Uh, one strategy is to try to find places that have doorways, like the, the House of the Healing. You know, you can run through the whole site and then go through the door to the house of the healing and shed your aggro or end up at the culverts and shed your aggro there as long as you don't get lost and you keep moving generally speaking it's not a problem if you have to stop in the middle of a big group of mobs with because uh, a ranger is lying there that you need to click on then yeah you need to be a little more careful <laughs> uh my bjorning is level 91 i said i think i said 83 before he's 91 so he's the next character that would be um supposedly on the way to 105 my next leveling project champ is waiting in moria for more moria runs i uh, haven't been doing much with my rk who's languishing at level 42 and my warden also at 33 is a nerp but uh, that's enough about what i've been doing in game let's move on to our next beacon the beacon of Erelas, where i am right now so, let's talk a little bit about the latest sensation that's sweeping the nation, Pokemon Go. You may be tired of hearing about it at this point, if you follow social media. 
Yes, there are a lot of negatives attached to the game. It's yet another reason to be glued to your phone like a zombie at all times. And uh, uh, given that, why do we, or I, actually like it? Is it the dynamic gameplay? Not. It's not dynamic gameplay. Um, if you've played it, you realize that. Uh, is it the nostalgia factor? I think that is something that is an impact for many people that play the game. But not for me. Uh, I was never into Pokemon. Pokemon came kind of after um, the age for me that I would have been interested in that kind of stuff. And to tell you the truth, I was never a big Japanese anime fan. And I thought Pokemon were kind of dumb. I uh, didn't get it at all. So why would I try this game now? Well, first of all, you're hearing about it every place. And uh, it's a free to download. <laughs> um, you know, I want to be want to understand what's going on. Why the craze, right? Needed to check it out and see what the fuss was about. So I did download and install the game. Especially uh, since one of my baby dwarves is uh, playing it a lot. And, um, you know, I like to understand what they're doing and why. Um, I think it also appeals to our innate... Uh, attraction to quest to collecting. If you've played an MMO, you've collected a lot of crap. <laughs> and uh, Pokemon Go is all about collecting, finishing off sets, finishing off deeds, finishing off quests, right? Uh, it's basically the same, the same appeal. You know, that OCD complex to say, I want to get everything, I want to see it all, I want to get everything, I want to finish off this, uh, this task or this collection, this deed, whatever the case may be. It appeals to that same common denominator, I think. Um, so in that in that in that way, it's kind of neat. I got, I got to admit, when a Pokemon pops up, that's not uh, Weedle Pidgey or Rattata. <laughs> I get excited, <laughs> right? Because you see so many of those pieces of crap, you're tired of them. But um, if you get something that's new that you've never gotten before, I'm like, oh sweet, I found a blah blah blah. You know, I'm not going anywhere until I get this thing, right? Um. Next piece would be the coolness factor. So they have done some, they have some really cool tech involved with this game. Uh, the augmented reality angle of Pokemon Go, uh, the way they have uh, the map laid out for anywhere you go in the game, uh, you know, it, it maps to what you're seeing, wh where you're walking with your eyes, but it does it in an abstracted and animated way. And uh, the layering of, Pokey stops onto real life uh, statues, collections, artwork, and locations is kind of brilliant, really. Um, I, I heard that they used that data, they collected it for another game, and then reused it for Pokemon Go. Um, and I've heard about some very interesting aspects of how people are utilizing that. I believe that po uh, that the company that makes the game is actually, in some cases, uh, selling Pokey stops to retail locations that are placing them at the front of their stores to attract business. That's freaking brilliant. <laughs> okay? I mean, you know, if you get a coffee shop or you got a pokey stop, you can put a lure on and just sit there and have stuff come to you for the next half hour. You know, I'd, I'd walk by locations all the time where people have lures and they're just hanging out there. Um, you know, and uh, if the company can can derive revenue from that, uh, from the businesses wanting a pokey stop located at their setting or a gym nearby, you know, more power to them. I think that's brilliant. Um, the social aspect, playing with friends or family, 
you know, to either take down a gym or compare collections or show, oh, I got this, what'd you guys get? Or going on a walk together to find stuff together, uh, which takes me to my next point. Physical exercise. Okay, I don't want to understate the importance of this. If your kid is going to play video games, and he's going <laughs> to, getting one that gets him to go walk outside in the real world is a huge benefit. Um, you know, is bad if he adds it to his regular gaming activity. It's just an add-on, right? But if he's doing it instead of sitting at home, uh, you know, playing Unreal Tournament all day or whatever the heck he's doing, um, then that's that's huge. You know, I've got a... I've got a uh, a young dwarf in the house that is going on long walks with the dog that never would have before. You know, you ask me, hey, you want to go walk into town with me? They'll be like, sure, I'll go now, uh, which is which is fantastic. I think it's uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a huge step forward. Um, so that's a, a a big plus in my book, which makes you know kind of helps you rationalize it as a parent. <laughs> And lastly, you know, how is this game groundbreaking? I think it's the augmented reality factor. Um, it's not the only game I've ever seen do something related to this, but it's the first one that's really pulling it all together. A couple other examples that come to mind. It's not a game exactly, but geocaching is a, you know, is a game that almost puts you on a treasure hunt out walking and finding locations. Um Another game that has several parallels, I think, is uh, it's not even not really even a game. It's a subscription to a game called Run Zombie Run, which uh, another podcast turned me on to. Uh, I think it was, geez, way back when uh, someone was guesting on Braxwolf's uh, uh, Beyond Boss Fights, where they talked about Run Zombie Run. He had his podcast talking about physical activity and gaming. And I downloaded the app and tried it a few times. Uh, basically, you go out looking for supplies to bring back to your base and avoiding zombies, and you're not actually seeing the stuff, um, you know, on your screen, but the but the game is describing to you where it is and where you have to go to to get to it, and uh, you know, using audio cues so you can tell when zombies are catching up to you and you need to increase your pace, and so it has some elements of uh, you know, of the the augmented reality game of Pokemon Go, but I think the Pokemon Go technology is again the most uh, the smoothest implementation of it, uh, with the broadest context that I've seen so far. And I'm sure there's other examples out there. If you can think of some, please let me know. So I think the most important fact of why we're talking about this is where can this technology go next? Uh, number one question for a Lodro podcast: Could it be applied to an MMO? <laughs> now I think it's too late for us at Lotro. Uh, to have augmented reality supplementing our game. But uh, if there's an MMO company out there designing the next big thing, I would be looking at long and hard at how this tech could be leveraged. Because think about it. Uh, how could you apply this to MMOs? Uh, what's a common question in an MMO? Going out and collecting 10 things? Check. I do that in Pokemon Go. Killing 10 Rattatas? Well, I'm not killing them. I'm collecting them. But if I swang my sword at them instead, check. I've done that too. How about grouping grouping up with others in your fellowship or kin to take down a boss? Uh, I do that with people in the yellow clan to take down a Pokemon gym. Check. Done. Uh, I have a feeling we'll be looking back to Pokemon Go many years hence and saying, 
this was a turning point for a whole new generation of technologies in gaming. Um, so I am intrigued to see what kinds of applications we can find for it moving forward. And uh, I do think it's a big deal and that we are going to be looking at it as, uh, as an important turning point. Uh, are you ready, player one? We're getting closer and closer. That brings us to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. And now the original word from our sponsor segment. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Quaker Oathbreakers. A piping hot bowl of Quaker Oathbreakers is one of nature's most unnatural energy sources. It goes great with everything from flesh or dried corpses to crunchy champ DPS. Even better, the ghosts don't stop with the taste. Quaker Oathbreakers is 100% whole whites, which may help reduce the risk of boss wipes. It's made with 100% unnatural broken oaths. It helps keep you swinging through the morning. It's a sodium-free buff. And it can be used as a harmful and nasty ingredient to many raid strats. Check our recipe section for more ideas. Quaker Oathbreakers, the number one cappy breakfast treat filled with righteous indignation, lovingly crafted by those that dwell under the mountain. Callan had, uh, with the discussions from Cordovan, talking about penetrating Mordor, I think it's time for a segment we might call One Does Not Simply Walk Into Mordor. So we've been sold something big is coming, and it's not a big battle. Uh, my biggest, and I've heard a lot of speculation about what we're going to do, most of it terrible, ridiculous, and way off base. So let me give you the real story. Do we have to choose between the Black Gates or Minas Morgul? We might have to. If they pay attention to the actual timeline of events, we may have to choose between our character going to the Black Gates to experience the battle in front of the Black Gates on the plains of Daggerlad or penetrating Minas Morgul. And if so, I choose the City of the Moon. You know, we stop off at Faramir's location on the way out of Dodge you know, where he had uh, Sam and Frodo, right, hold up, and the pool where Gollum was captured, and there's still rangers there, right? And they send us, they, they, they share with us more about the, the fates of Sam and Frodo. And after we tell Gar Gandalf and Aragorn, uh, those guys tell us to split off after them to see if we can help. Uh, if, if they follow this, this path, it allows us to explore an epic space in the game, um, Minas Morgul, and maybe even penetrate Mordor, chasing Sam and Frodo across the arid and poisoned plains of Gorgoroth to Mount Doom. So I can picture a scenario where we quest in and around the plains of Gorgoroth and even up to the, the uh, entrance to the Cracks of Doom, to protect Frodo and Sam's path from the forces of Sauron that still might be present or trying to track them down. Yes, we'll need to escape. The volcano is all said and done, but it's not that hard. It'll be like Oprah. You get an eagle, and you get an eagle, and you get an eagle. So taking this path also allows us to do the big thing. Uh, and I think the big thing is a 12-man Shelob raid very similar in style to the Watcher, Philokul, Dragok, Sword Halls. You know, basically not a huge complicated six-man boss raid, 
but a huge honking single boss raid, uh, maybe with a few, you know, interesting little encounters to whet your appetite up into, and up into you, you know, getting to the middle of the web or whatever the case may be. It has to frigging happen, all right? I think they know it. I think we know it. Uh, it's inevitable. So what's the downside of building out Kirithungal and Minas Morgul and having us patrolling the plains of Gorgoroth? Yes, I know we can't be at Frodo and Sam's side when they throw the ring in. That's floor-breaking, blah, blah, blah. But we can follow them pretty damn close. Uh, excuse me, watch my rating. Grima, edit that out. Um, so what's the downside? The downside is if we do all that, we probably miss the Battle of the Black Gates. You know, it's possible... We could do Minas Morgul and Kirithungal, glimpse the plains of Gorgoroth from on top of the tower, and uh, then turn back to catch up to the main host for the final fight in 2017. Then maybe do some mortar cleanup duty after the ring's destruction to fumigate the remains of Baradur. Um, so that is the other possibility. I think it would be difficult to explain from a lower perspective how we could do both. Um, so my bet is on the former scenario instead of the latter scenario. Otherwise, um, there's always session plays, right? We can always do session plays uh, to experience the Battle of the Black Gate, which I'm probably okay with. Either way, the good news is Mordor, 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 one way or another. Maybe it's not the end or the beginning of the end, but it's at least the end of the beginning. Shire scouring anyone? That brings us to the seventh beacon of Halifiri, and it's time for Blessed Relief. It's the end of the 55th episode of Light the Bickens. I can't drive 55 beacons. Grandma, edit that out. That sounded terrible, too. I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofballon at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for Abomasnow. That's a Pokemon, in case you didn't know. Um, Michael Jordan dropped a double nickel on the beacons. That's another 55 reference. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review, if perchance you're so inclined, so you can knock off an Ishi Farquester. Would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or to respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. Hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, my dear old dad, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you go to the Houses of Healing, with a sweaty shirtless dwarf who refuses to use bacterial wipes, don't despair. Light the beacons. Haha, crappy sound. Sounds kind of like a lightsaber. I'm leaving it in. Grandma, don't edit that out.